Ecclesiastes chapter 6. So we're, we'll finish up with chapter 6 today. That'll put us on the back half of being done uh, half, over halfway through the book of Ecclesiastes. It's written late in Solomon's life. These ask a lot of hard questions, and, and I like that. I, I like that the, God's not afraid of questions. God's not afraid of hard questions. He wants us to seek Him. He wants us to find Him. He wants, if you have a question, then ask Him. You know, and, and how else are you going to have an answer if you never ask the question? And so He's not afraid. Ask Him. But we're right here, um, let's see, just a little past halfway in chapter 6. We're ready for verse 7. I'll read that. There's a few verses that are kind of standalone, but... So Ecclesiastes chapter 6, verse 7 says, All the labor of man is for his mouth, and yet the appetite is not filled. Uh, he's in the middle of saying something, but I've kind of, I always try to break it up within context of what's going on. And, uh, here he's just still kind of going on with you know, life. And here he says he's speaking of the endless repetition of life. You work to buy groceries. You know, or you work to grow food, if, that's, if you're a farmer and you grow your own food, or if you're a hobby farmer where you grow your own food, or if you just like having, I like a fresh tomato, you know, and it's like, if I, I think last year I got one. I don't know how many plants we planted, I think you got one tomato, maybe two. Little cherry tomatoes, that's disappointing labor. Uh, but I like a good, fresh Indiana tomato, you can't beat it. But you, you work hard, you know, and to get food, and you eat that food, and then you're full, and you're like, oh, that was satisfying. You know, a good meal is satisfying, that's just, oh, that. Tasted good, that hit the spot, it was everything you wanted, the food, the drink was good, it was some super sweet tea, you know, some flavor, you know, it was just all, oh, it all went good together and you're full and you're like, oh, that's satisfying. And a few hours later, a few hours later, you're like, you know, I'm kind of hungry for something, you know, and you go through the whole process again. And then there's again and again and again and again, you're just, hunger never stops, right? We can satiate it for a little while, but it keeps on coming. Yeah, so you make and buy more food, and you cook it, and you prepare it, you eat it, you get full, you get satisfied, you rest, and then you're hungry again and again and again and again. You know, and if it's Chinese, you're hungry faster than you were after you had the other. It just seems like that just, oh, I'm so stuffed, I can't eat anything until you get in the car. I could really eat some more. And just, it seems like it's always there. It's just all day, every day, you eat, and then you die. It, sometimes, you know, as older people, sometimes you got to remind them, you got to eat. I can remember... Um, Betty talking with Jim, you know, telling him you know, when he was uh, in these last few weeks, it's like, you've got to eat, you know, you have to have it, you have to have your appetite, you have to be there, but it gets, gets suppressed when it's hot, you know, it's harder to eat sometimes just because it's down there, but hunger, food, all this, it's, it's the great equalizer, the stuff of life is boiled down to you have to eat, you know, you, you have to eat or you die, all people are the same, we all must eat to live. Verse 8 says, all the labor of man is for the mouth, or verse, sorry, verse 7, all the labor of man is for his mouth, and yet his appetite is not filled. For what hath the wise man more than the fool? What hath the poor that knoweth to walk before the living? He says, basically, he boils it down to this, since we all have to eat, how's the wise man further ahead than the, than the, the, the foolish man? They both have to eat. You know, the wise man might be thinking on some great and wonderful things and, and you know, have some great degrees and all that stuff, but he still has to stop and eat or he's going to die. And, and the foolish man might just play around all day, but he leaves, still remembers to, to stop and eat. And so basically that's life. It's not like the wise man is ever going to solve the problem of perpetual energy that we never have to eat again. That's not there. You know, fuel 
Uh, whether it be fuel, we, we talk about a lot of fuel problems in our world today, whether it's oil or solar or wind or whatever else. The same with the body. We have to take in good fuel, right? If we take in bad fuel, it affects us. We need to take in good fuel. But we have to have fuel or we don't run. We don't have energy. We don't do anything. And he says, so he might surround him stuff, the wise man, with, with, with a lot of other stuff and do a lot of other things. And the poor guy might just worry about just food and that's it. But they're both the same. It kind of boils them down to they have to stop and eat or, or nothing goes, you know, or you're so he starts thinking, is the really the main point is in life, should we really just be focusing on food? Should, should that be it? Um, the other guy, you know, buys himself more stuff, the, 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 the wise man, but the foolish man, you know, doesn't. And, and, and so they still have to stop and eat. And verse 6 says, they all end up in the same place. Do not all go to one place. It means they both die. Says they can all eat, they can all eat, some can eat well, some can eat poor, they have to stop and eat, but they have to have fuel. And in the end, we all die, we all go to the one place, and he's kind of like, is it really worth it? Verse 9, he says, better is the sight of the eyes than the wandering of the desire. That is also vanity and vexation of spirit. Um, Solomon says maybe the key is to to just best pursue what's right in front of you what the bare necessities are, just the necessities of life. He goes, maybe that's best, maybe that's all we should pursue is just, you know, our next meal, and then that's it, not concern ourselves with everything else that we concern ourselves. Maybe we don't need to travel, maybe we don't need to do all these other things and high and lefty things and educate ourselves and learn all the math and everything else. What it basically comes down to, you have to eat. Maybe that's it, maybe we just, maybe this is it, the bare necessities, just to sit and then get our next meal. Uh, in all my searching, uh, say Solomon wrote thousands of songs, we have one recorded in the Bible, I found another one of Solomon's song, and I get to reveal it to you the first time today. Uh, <clears throat> I might sing a little bit, to, but it sums up what he's saying here. The bare necessities, the simple bare necessities. Forget about your worries and your strife. I mean the bare necessities, the bear that can really rest at ease with just the bare necessities of life. You know, that's, that's Baloo the bear. Right? That's, that's, not, that's not Solomon, but, uh, but that's it. That's Solomon's argument here. He, he, is, he is saying that. He's like, maybe, maybe I should take Baloo's mindset. Remember, he's kind of, um, Malgui, is that, you know, he, he's like talking with him. He's like, no, yeah, the, the bear's life. What's the bear do? Uh, the bee works for me. You make it honey just for me. You know, and I go and I get this. And he goes, I just find food where it is. And that's it. And I just sit around and have a lazy life and go on. And the boy's like, no, I want to learn things. You know, and the monkeys are trying to teach him all that. You know, so there's all this big wrestle. You know, do we, it's the same struggle here. Do I just be the lazy bear and just eat the ants and the bees and whatever comes along, get the prickly pear, you know, and all the other things that he has to get? You know, it's, it's, the, it's the wrestle of, of what Solomon's saying there in, in, in Baloo speak. He didn't have a job. He didn't have to go to work. He didn't plant a garden. He lived in his big bear home, right? You know, the jungle. He, he lived around there, and he didn't have any big questions. He was just like, where's my next meal? And when he stumbled upon the next meal, he ate it. And he ate it until he was full. He stayed in that spot, and that was all gone. He moved on to something else, and he would eat that. And he's, that's what he's telling the boy. This is the life. Let's just be lazy. Float down the river, have fun, and then eat what we want to eat. You know, that, that sounds like it. You know, so he just focused on the next meal. You know, not about questions, not about purpose, not about why is man here. He just worried about food. Is that the key? To sit still and survive? Uh, you know, just to get, just to get by on, on, on the, enough to, to just survive? Is that, is that it? He says, no, it's vanity. He says, it's vanity, verse 9, and it is vexation of spirit. He goes, no, it's vanity, it's empty. You will wish for better. Even when you say you're not, you'll wish for better. And, and it will vex you. Why 
Well, I should just sit at home and be lazy and just eat, you know, but, but why do I have you know, all this vexation? Why do I worry? Because man's not a bear. You know, man's not that way. Man has curiosities. Man is made in God's image. We are different than just an animal that is sitting there. We want adventure, right? We have questions. We want to explore. We are curious what's over the next ridge or around the bend of that river, and we want to pursue it and see what's over there. We want better. We, 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 want to, we want to eat better. I don't want to eat ants. You, know, you, want, you want to eat something better. You want to, more exotic. I like tasting new foods and, and trying new things. And I, I, I like that. Try new things. You'll know, see new things. My eyes like to see new things. I like to hear new stories, do all these things. It is different. We dream. I dream a lot. And, and so we dream. We daydream. We wonder. We, we have goals. We, we, we search and we have these questions. That's who we are. Why is it so frustrating is what Solomon's saying. Why, why, why is life so hard and unfair? And it seems like you have dreams and you have this and you, we understand it's food, but you have the desire and the push for that. And, and it seems like it's a big old trap and we're all just working and it comes to naught anyway, we all die. I remember when I took my job at Falkenberg's, I was in, uh, a junior in high school. I, I jobbed out. No, I think it was, I was a senior. My senior year, I jobbed out. And so I, the back half of my senior year, I went to work for half a day. I've not stopped. <laughs> so it's been uh, 34 years at, at the same place, going and doing that. And I remember going there like, I'll buy a truck. And once I pay off that truck, I'll go get a job I want to do. 34 years later, I, you know, because I had to buy a house. And then my wife needed a ring. And, well, because she wanted to be my wife. And we wanted to live together, so I had to have a house. And, you know, the first phone I got came with a house. You know, I had to buy a house. Then I got a phone. We didn't have cell phones back then. And so my name was in the phone book. I'm somebody. I owned a patch of earth, you know, and lived there. And then we had kids, and so I had to pay for them. And we had this, that, and the other thing. And it was always added up, and I haven't caught up yet. You know, and so it's like you still, you, you got to go. You got to work. You got to do all these things. And so just, it's, and, and Solomon's saying the monotony of it, you know, that you're always eating. How many? Three times a day and all this stuff. It just seems like it adds up. It seems like, why? Does it count? Does it matter? Verse 10, he says, that which has been, been is named already, and that is known is what is man, neither may be contended, uh, may he contend with him that is mightier than he. Uh, a few different things. He says, what's been done's already been named already. He said, he said this before. There's nothing new under the sun. It seems like man is doing the same thing over and over and over and over again. We're on a record. We'll come around. We'll do back. We might do it different. We might do it a little bit different, but it's the same things. You know, we're doing the same things. And he's kind of like, that's, that's kind of pointless. And then the back middle part, there's a little more confusing. And it is known what is man. Basically, he's saying we know what man is. We know what man is, and we know what man is capable of. Like, you can't trust man. Man doesn't have the answers. Man's not going to solve the questions. Man's not going to solve the riddles of life. Man's not going to come up with these questions. So we know what man is. Man's going to fall short. He goes, I understand that, and so that's not the answer. Man is failure. Man, especially sin-wise, man can't solve his own problems. We can't pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps, no matter how wise man is, and he's the wisest man who ever lived. And at the end, he says... We can't contend with him who is mightier than he. Neither may he contend with him that is mightier than he. We can't contend with who is over us. Basically saying man can't argue with the one in control. Man can't argue with God. Um, That's different than today's thinking, isn't it? Most of today's thinking, if you can get them around to even acknowledge that there's a God, they say they want to contend with him. I've got a few questions with him. I've got a few things I like to set him straight on. I've got a few hard questions that God can't handle. I'll rock him. I'll rock his world. Uh, No, you won't. (laughs) No, you won't. 
you might be allowed to speak when you stand in God's presence. I don't know how God reviews our life. I know that there are books written. The Bible tells us that there are books written about your life. Do you get a chance to defend yourself and speak up anything? I don't, I don't know. But I imagine God is gracious and God is kind. He might let you say your peace. And all your arguments and all your excuses and all your reasons of why you did what you did, you will be wrong. If it is in violation of God's law and God's, God's set determination on how things is, he will tell you how you were wrong and how many opportunities you had and how he tried to show you and how he has guided you and, and tried to put you down this place and all your clever questions and all your clever excuses and all your clever things will come to naught when you're standing against the holy God of the universe and God will set you straight. Romans 14, actually God will bend your knee. Romans 14:11 says, every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And by Lord, by acknowledging that you are Lord and bowing down to him, we sing the song, bow the knee. Bowing down to him is acknowledging that he has power over you. That he is the one over you. He is the Lord that is over you. He has authority. That means you're acknowledging everything you did, Lord, everything that came in my life, everything that I've been accusing you of, you had the power to run my life that way. If you go to him and say, why did this happen? And why did I get sick? And why the car wreck? And why did I lose that money? And then God sits that and says, well, I was trying to draw you into me. Or I was trying to use this like this. Or I was trying to do this that way. Or this guy needed help over here, so I had your car break down so you can give him some extra money because you had extra money. And I took it out of your bank account and I gave it to his. And, and you were supposed to be kind and gracious about it and, and all this stuff. And now you have all these big wonderful... He would tell you all these things and you will find out that he did have power and authority over your life because you are his. You acknowledge that he is the creator, that he is the maker, that he is the one who governs over you and over all creation. You will see that you are his and that you are rebellious. And then you will acknowledge that he is Lord and that he was right and everything that he did and everything that happened in your life. And you will bow your knee and you will confess that, yes, you were Lord. Yes, your way was the way I see it. And so now it's just a matter of when do we do that? Because you're going to see that God was good and that God was patient and that God was kind. And we need to be thankful that God is good and that God is patient and that God is kind and that God is tenderhearted. Our God's not hard-hearted. Our God is tenderhearted. Our God is merciful. He's very kind. He's very merciful. That any of us are breathing and looking at anything and have anything good and kind in our life out of the rebellion that we've put towards Him, He is a kind and merciful and long-suffering God. He is patient. He is gracious. He is loving. He has been pursuing us. He's been, especially the lost. He pursues us if we've repented and trusted in Him. He pursued us until we understood and we bowed our knee and we acknowledged here and now the way He wants it, not waiting until we're dead. But here and now, that's the way He wants us. He wants us to humble ourselves, come to Him, and give us salvation. He wants us to get right before Judgment Day. He wants us to get right here and now. He wants us to acknowledge Him as Lord and Savior so we can go out and we can say, I know who to thank for that beautiful sunset that we get to enjoy here at Cornerstone. We have some of the most beautiful sunsets here as we look across the vista. We know who to thank for that artistry as we see it on the canvas of the sky. We know who to thank as we watch a bumblebee fly that aerodynamics say should not work. And we can say, I know who designed that and I know who made it. We know who to thank you know, as we watch a mushroom spring up and the mysteries of where and why and how come I can't find them. And we know who to like put all these different things. We, we know, you know to look at a fish and how does the gill work and, and watch them as they do all that and just look at the beauty and how it's crafted to live where it lives and look at the bird and how it does and, and someone to thank and be in awe over and say, man, what design? What, what structure? What beauty? We have someone that we can pray to instead of having to acknowledge it later and saying it didn't make itself. It didn't do it all on its own. It's not just random chance. And then you have to bow down late in your life before you enter off into eternity in hell and say, it was you. 
I was wrong about it all. See, God is pursuing us now so that we will get right with Him, so we can spend eternity with Him, where He'll continue to dazzle and amaze us with His wonderful power and His His wonderful plans. So, yeah, we can't contend with God. He is mightier than us. We better understand that now. That's what Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit. You know, when we come before Him, it's like, God, I have nothing. You, You have it all. You are the Lord. I come to you humbly and I bow. He says, that's what He's looking for, that broken and contrite heart. But others see this differently. They see this verse as God being fatalistic. Neither may he contend with him that is mightier than he, verse 10 of chapter 6. They see that as fatalistic. And Solomon's gone there before. He's tried to argue that God is fatalistic. As in, you can't help your life. Your life is fated. Everything you do, you had no choice at all. Boom, boom, boom. You're just a robot, robot running the program. You know, like, I was going to go here. I was going to do that. That was going to happen. It's fate. It's my destiny. That's how it's going to go. I can't change anything. This is my lot in life. This is my plot in life. I can't do anything. God's just in control, and I'm just like a slot car on a racetrack going around. I'm just following what's out in front of me. That he determines every little thing in your life, every little detail. He makes it happen, and you have no control. That makes you angry at God that way, right? It's called fate, you know? It's like, why is this coming to my life? I don't see that anywhere in the Bible. I don't see how that ever applies to God. The Bible shows us, and that's why we study the whole book, Genesis to Revelation, and we take time, we go through it a verse at a time, and it shows us God's pursuit for man. Right? He wants us to repent. He wants us to trust in Jesus. He wants to save us. He's provided the way. He gave his son. He gave his life. He gave his all. He's made a way for us. And God is doing everything to try to draw us. He's, Acts 17 says he's put you where you are, when you are, where you've lived, so that you most likely find him. Second um, Peter 3 says he's not willing that any should perish, any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. His desire is that all should come. If he is fatalistic, determined us, wouldn't he determine that we all live and it would come? But no, man has free will. That's a dangerous thing, that we could shake our fist at God and say, no, I don't want you. But God has done that because he's kind. He wants to have free will. He wants to have love that's generally returned to him. Gratitude is generally given back to him. He wants that. A mom doesn't just want a card because it's Mother's Day. She wants to know the feeling in the heart and the intent that you want to spend time with her. You really do appreciate it. And you really do thank her. That means a whole lot more than just doing it out of, well, society says. No, no, they want to know and appreciate it in that way. And so the same way with God. He wants to be loved and appreciated. And the scariest thing is hell is not made for man. It was made for the devil and the fallen angels. It was made for them. It was for their punishment, for what they did. Man is an unwelcome guest there. It's not made for him. He's not supposed to be there. Men choose to go there. They choose to rebel like Satan did. They choose to shake their fists at God and to blame God and to be angry at him for the things that they do because they can't take any fault on themselves, can never humble themselves. They're so proud. They're so arrogant with who they are and what they're doing. It must not be my fault. It must be God's fault. And so they have all these angry accusations against him about, why do all these things? Have you violated at law after law and precept after precept? And you're like, why do these bad things happen? It must be God's fault. After he's warned you and told you in advance, you want a happy, good life? Follow what I've told you. It's the safety rails. It's the guardrails on the road. The road works a lot better if you're between you know, the, the two white lines on the edge. That, that works really great. So when you get off, it gets a little dicey. You know, I had someone got off this morning right in front of Spearsville. She kicked it all sideways, heading right for me. I'm like, well, no sermon this morning. 
Thankfully, she corrected, got straight, whew, yeah, made it, and here I stand. But it was like, you know, that quick, things could change. I'm doing everything right. I'm in my lane going that way. You know, someone's else distracted. They get kicking sideways or coming at you. It could change in an instant. You know? Do I blame God? No. I thank him for that. And I was able to go to him. I was able to call out for help. Lord, let him correct. And, you know, real, real quick, I'll tell you, Lane, like, brace yourself. Here it comes. You know, and so, but it's, uh, fortunately, it didn't. But, you know, but we get to read the Bible. And the Bible shows you God's nature. And he's not fatalistic in that way. It shows that he's long-suffering. I'm thankful that he's long-suffering. You know, that he still has patience with me. That he loves me as his child and he'll discipline me when I need correction. Uh, but he's still wanting me to make decisions on my own, to learn and to choose and to do the right things for him. Long-suffering. He's a patient God. Man, patience is a virtue, right? We say that and it is true. When you watch someone... Work with somebody who is frustrating. We all know somebody who's frustrating. Don't all look at me. But we all know somebody who's frustrating. And when you watch someone who is kind and compassionate and teaching someone who is frustrating, you're like, man, that guy has patience. Well, that lady has patience. Moms have a lot of patience, don't they? To love a child enough to, I need to say this to you 500 times now, until you get it right, until you understand, I will teach you because this is your life at stake. You know, that's how we saw it. Our kids, it's like, they're going to care for families one day. We need to teach them and instruct them and help them to understand so that they are better in life and to do this and to, to do that. And my wife, to, to take the time to teach and instruct in that way, you know, it's patience. I'm going to show you this again. I'm going to tell you again. We're trying to save you some grief here. Um, I can remember hearing that from dad and mom. You know, it's like, we're trying to save you grief. We're trying to give you a shortcut in life. Learn from our experiences and what we've done. Don't go down this road. Let's go this way. Man, patience. God is patient. He's kind. He's gracious. And he's trying to reach sinners, to redeem them, to save them. He's provided the way for every man, right? Jesus Christ has died for the sins of the world. He's made it available unto them. And we think we're going to shake our fist and that it's fatally determined? No. Man has choice. He wants us to choose him. And so I don't believe that God is fatalistic. I don't believe that in there. You cannot see it in the Bible because I can see the God who is long-suffering, who's patient and kind and, and gentle and everything else that is through the Scripture. Is he righteous? Yes. Is he holy? Yes. Does he, there's a line that you can cross? Yes. But he's, I'm glad he's patient. I'm glad he's kind. And I'm glad that he tells us to turn our cheek, you know, the 70 times 7 to forgive. He's turned his cheek more than 70 times 7 for this guy, you know, and so I'm so glad that he is that way, and so we should emulate it as well. But Solomon asked those questions, and there's similar questions that you and I have had, and like I said we saw some of it even in the trailer of that movie. But verse 11, he says, Seeing there be many things that increase vanity, what is man the better? He says, As far as everything that man can do, and Solomon's thinking about everything he has done, and like we talked about in earlier chapters, Solomon has done stuff that is still on this world today. You know, you can go see the stables of Solomon, stuff that he built that last. Oh, I don't know. You know. Will stuff I do last that long? Probably not. You know, it's like it's kind of waste away, you have to throw it away and get away of it. And it. But Solomon's made some marks on the world in that way, and he's like, it doesn't matter. You know, I don't use the stables. And, and then he thinks about the temple. He can look over the temple, he's like, all these sheep, all these sacrifices made year after year. And still, it's not getting rid of man's sin. It's just covering it because he's living at the point when Jesus hasn't come yet. And he's like, it just seems endless. It just seems endless. It just seems like, is man any the better? No. And that's kind of the point, you know, that you'd have to go and do the sacrifice every year to let you say, boy, I wish this could be one and done. So when Jesus Christ came and did it, you'd be like, oh, he did it. It was the answer. It was done. These were all rehearsals for when the real thing came. You know, they were all preparing in that way. Uh, here, here's what we need to remember, that the Bible is a progressive revelation. 
progressive revelation means that it's told us a little bit at a time, building up to it. It just didn't give us everything all at once, especially as mankind went. Um, it starts out with telling us the origin of sin. Here's why we are in the predicament that we are. He tells us about Adam and Eve. He tells us about the whole sin that goes on. And he gives them a Band-Aid to temporary cover it. That was the sacrifice where someone, something died for them to cover their sin every year, and they had to do that. But then the promise of a Savior. A Savior is coming. Who will then remove that, take away that sin as far as the east is from the west? He'll do those things. He talks about the depravity of man. A lot of the Bible is talking just about how bad we are, you know, by showing us and examples of who men are. He has to judge the world with the flood. The goodness of God, that he provides a way. Noah, build an ark, tells him in advance. He tells us in advance things that we can do. Um, reaching out uh, to everyone, reaching out to all of us, reaching out to me. But man still has a lot of questions, always has. The Bible includes those questions. I'm glad of that. I'm glad that Solomon could say these things and voice these opinions, and some of them are wrong, some of them are right. I'm glad he could do that. And sometimes he gives us a peek in the Bible, in the progressive revelation of the Bible, a peek behind the curtain, that we get to see what's really going on, because we have eyes that see here and now. But every once in a while, like Job, we get a vantage point that Job didn't have. Job didn't know that Satan and God were having this big sparring match. He didn't know that. We know that, and so we get to see how these things all play out, and that Job was faithful, and that Job was patient, so we talk, patient, and we talk about the patience of Job, and we learn from the lessons of Job because we get to see what was going on behind the scenes. There's spiritual warfare going on. Wow, I wonder if that's going on in my life. Yeah, it is. There's a lot of times that wicked things happen because they're trying to throw you off you know, and get you off course. Elisha, you know, he pulls back the curtain. I don't even know that he saw, but he prays for his servant. Show him. And there's armies. Armies on the mountaintop, a mountain full of them, the Bible says, with chariots of fire there to fight them. When it seemed like the world was all against them, he's like, open his eyes so he could see. And he sees in the spiritual realm that there's a battle that is going on and that we aren't alone and that we're not just out there by ourselves. We learn that the earth is a battleground between spiritual forces, good and evil. But God is seeking to save us. The devil is trying to kill us and make life miserable. I'm glad we have the completed Bible, but Solomon did not. And so he asked these questions. So we need to remember that as he asked, especially this last one, verse 12. He says, For who knoweth what is good for man in this life? All the days of his vain life, which he spendeth as a shadow. For who can tell a man what shall be after him under the sun? Um, he's asking here, he's like, basically he's come to, like, why bother? What's right? We don't even know what's right. I don't even know. Should I just eat? Should I be like Baloo? Or, or should I pursue higher things? Should I keep pursuing all these other things? How, how should we spend our time? You know, say being lazy or, or, or being working? Well, the Bible tells us working. Uh, it was multiple verses, multiple passages throughout the Bible, not to be lazy. Consider the ant, you sluggard, you know, who's working and planning in advance and all these things. That God made us have foresight and all these things, so the Bible answers that. Uh, but he ends with a question there. He says, for who can tell a man what shall be after him under the sun? There's a lot in there we could do, but we're going to focus on this last one. And he asked the right question. He says, who? Who can tell us? Who can tell us about life after death? Who can tell us? You figure what he is, and especially when you go through a lot of the Old Testament, life after death is a big mystery. You know, there's a lot of things that they don't know. There's a lot of things that they didn't understand how it worked because they hadn't been revealed to them because it's a progressive revelation of the Bible. We have the whole work. See, because we have someone who died and rose again, he can tell us. 
He can tell us what it's like to have life after death. He can tell us what happens after that, and we can believe him because he's been there. So the who to this question, you can write off in your margin. Who can tell man what shall be after him under the sun? Jesus can. Because Jesus died, he died and rose again. He can tell us that. And then he gives answers to the disciples. He gives answers to the, to the apostles, and he tells them, and they write it down for us. And we learn a lot of things in this progressive revelation in the Bible. Jesus answers the question. One, when Jesus answers it, answered to Solomon's question right here is John 14. Um, John 14, he's telling them where he's going to go after his death, what's going to happen, and what will happen to them. John 14, verse 1, he says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions, and if it were not so, I would have told you. I go and prepare a place for you. God, there's a place prepared for those who repent and trusted in Christ. And I go and prepare a place for you. I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am you may be also. And whether you go, uh, you know in the way you know. He says, I'm going to prepare a place, and you and I will be together. We're going to spend eternity with him. Solomon didn't have that answer. You and I have that answer, that if we repent and trust in Christ, that there's a place prepared for us that Christ has made, and we'll get to be with him in this palace. He doesn't live in a dump. You know, and so he lives in a fantastic place uh, that he is preparing for us. In this pro- progressive revelation, we have an answer to that question. He's preparing a place for us. Paul, he tells that servant some answers, and he says, our lives will be tried. As Christians and as the lost, the lost will be tried uh, and they'll determine um, their fate in hell, you know, how much they suffer because of what they've done. It is endless. But if we repent and trust in Christ, our lives will be judged for what we did for Christ. And 1 Corinthians 3, verse uh, 13. I'll turn there. 1 Corinthians 3, it talks about the judgment that Christians face. Verse 13, every man's work shall be made manifest, and the day shall declare it, but because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. And if any man's work abide, which he shall built thereon, he shall receive a reward. And if any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he shall himself shall be saved, and so as by fire. So this is going to be a judgment of our life. And so he says, you need to listen to what I've told you, how to live. God tells us how to live, how to behave, and how to act. He says, I'm going to judge you by that, and it'll determine how your eternity is going to go. It's all going to be great. It's all going to be way better than hell. That is for sure. You know, eternity is where we want to spend it with God. But he's saying, you can make it better. You can, I can reward you, and I can give you great rewards. You can get upgrades and this, that, and the other thing, better jobs or better whatever else to serve him and better, closer ranks to him. And we've spent many times speculating on, on some of those that are hinted at in Scripture. But, boy, we can have that. But rest awaits. Reward awaits. Comforts await. Life, eternity with God awaits. He shows John all kinds of fantastic things in the book of Revelation. He shows him battles. He shows him wars. He shows him victories. He shows him setting up the millennial kingdom. Isaiah as well, we get to see pictures of what it's like to live and to rule and reign on an earth where there is no war, where the curse is removed, uh, and then for the most part, Christ rules and reigns on the earth. We get to be down here ruling and reigning with him on the earth for a thousand years. Man, a thousand years on the earth in a paradise earth with Christ ruling and reigning. We know that there is yet another battle at the end of that one, these rebellious kids that, that rise up. Uh, that, that battle's done. And then... We get to stand where the angels did when the world was first made. Job tells us about all the the sons of God shouted for joy when God created the universe. That they saw his mighty, magnificent display. Would you not like to see him speak and have things just leap into existence and and, and to make the sun and to make the earth and to make all these things and set it all into motion and to put the life down in there and just to do all that? That would have been fantastic to witness. We get to witness that when he does it again. He says that he's going to burn everything away, take it all back to nothing. And then he's going to speak, he's going to make a new heaven, and we'll watch the power of God as he puts it on display and makes a new heaven. 
He makes a new earth. He makes a new earth we're going to spend eternity on. And we'll get to look at it and see and the wonder and the sparkleness of it. None of the curse on it. None of the marks of the fall of mankind is on there. It's a new earth. And makes a new Jerusalem come down like a bride adorned for his wife. Comes down out of the heavens and then puts on, 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 the, on the earth to move. That's going to be our hometown, our city where we work out of. We get to watch that come down and it's going to be fantastic. A building that God has made. Never seen one. But we'll get to see one and live in one that he has prepared for us. And we get to live on this earthly home for eternity with him. A real physical physical tangible world explore it claim things for him go and subdue the earth bring it back like adam was supposed to do in the garden he makes a garden puts him in it and then tells him to go to subdue it we get to go back to that beginning subdue new countries new things see new things the wonder of the creation uh, the adventure of it all that we get to work and have our jobs and participate in it for eternity ah oh, that's exciting to think about what we're going to do for him we can have all that and jesus says what comes after what comes out? He tells us all that. There's all, there's a life ahead, eternal life that's ahead. But how you live now matters. He tells us how to behave. He tells us about judgment. He tells us about reward. He tells us about rest. He tells us about family and spending time with family and friends in eternity. So he says, yeah, you can ask me your questions. He will answer. Because Solomon asked ask him, and then we've got an answer in Jesus Christ. And you and I live in the best place to have all these questions answered because we have the completed word of God. Where we could just say, show me, because his word has the answer. It is there. And if you need help, that's part of my job is to help guide you to where those answers are. But it comes down to how you live, what you do with the Savior. If we try to do it with just man-centered thinking, with just who man is, can man save himself? Can man do everything that answers all the questions? No. But God did through Jesus Christ. He came down, he paid the sin price, he suffered for us, rose again, made a way for us that if we repent and trust in him, we get to be a partakers in that. He will then cover our unrighteousness with his righteousness, credit his goodness to our bankrupt account, and we'll have our account full. We get to live and, and rule and reign with him forever, and we get to then live a life not on our own, but with help from the outside that we can pray to the Lord and have him ask him questions, that we can seek wisdom and knowledge, and we can then try to pursue him and, and praise him and thank him and acknowledge him and, and tell other things about him and have a, a good life with him, that you have heaven and this life too the way he wants it. And so it's a matter of that. Repent and trust in him. That those questions that Solomon asked were answered, and they're answered in Jesus Christ. And we have the same source of those answers in Jesus Christ today. What a time to be alive. We have the completed word of God with more ways to study it than anybody else to go and then take those hard questions and find those answers. Does it make life any less hard? Sometimes. There's still hard things that come. There's still difficulties that we face. There's still the why questions, even when you know him and embrace him. But we're to trust him. We're to trust him. He is trustworthy. He has shown himself that he is trustworthy. So show that, live that out loud. The world, out loud, the world will see that and the world will notice the difference. It rains on the just and the unjust. But how do we behave? Do we curse him? Does he give us the good things and we curse him for the bad things? Or do we trust him in it all and try to seek to serve him through it all and let him use it all for the, his glory and his praise? It's a hard road, and some of you are on it. I thank you for your faithfulness and encourage you and pray for you to stay uh, faithful to him. And I pray if you're here today and you don't know him as Savior, repent and trust in him because we know the end is judgment, and we know that you're going to be tried. And the, the Ten Commandments, we know, all, we know all the answers, we know all the questions. Just repent and trust in him, and you can have salvation. Uh, he's done it for us. And if we have, 
live a life that's pleasing unto him. It's for your benefit and for his and a good life too. And so I'm glad that we have the word. And I'm glad that we have the answers. And I'm glad we had someone like Solomon asking those questions so we can look and see, man, what a time to be alive that we have those answers. And man, it makes us appreciate Jesus all the more for who he is and what he's done. And I appreciate you being here this morning.